We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Spurs Up show, the best Gamecocks podcast on the internet. Today is Tuesday, October the 12th, 2021. Today's show, former Gamecocks football player Alex McGrath joins me. He does each and every single Tuesday to help break down what happened over the weekend at Neyland Stadium as the Gamecocks fall to 0-3 in SEC play, losing to Tennessee by a score of 45-20. We also look ahead of this upcoming weekend as South Gunna returns home looking for their first SEC win of the 2021 football season as they take on the Vanderbilt Commodores at Williams-Brice Stadium. Guys, all that and more. we got a packed show here on a Tuesday, and it's all brought to you by our friends over at Upstate Movers Group. Guys, Upstate Movers Group, superior moving service. They bring care and attention the companies can't offer because they're just too busy maintaining trucks and profiting off of them instead of focusing on service. Guys, service is what separates Upstate Movers Group from the competition. They're not a trucking company. They're a moving services company, and they're also employee-owned co-op. Their movers are paid twice the industry average, and everyone on the crew is invested in your success. They have dedicated professional crew members and they also offer black glove service they offer end-to-end packing services custom creating and packaging professional items and cleaning services as well they're founded by greenville natives and university of south Carolina alumni guys so a gamecock owned small business they also offer 20 years of project management moving experience and they can offer logistics and solutions that traditional moving companies simply do not have the skills for guys whether in the upstate or across the state of south carolina if you have any moving needs in 2021 be sure to check out our friends over at upstate movers group you can find them on social media at upstate movers group of course if you have any other questions go to their website upstatemoversgroup.com that's upstatemoversgroup.com be sure to check them out and tell them chris from the spurs up show sent you let's get it Each and every single Tuesday, former Gamecocks football player Alex McGrath. Alex going to help us break down what went right and mostly, again, what went wrong Saturday on Rocky Top as the Gamecocks 
fall to the Tennessee Volunteers by a score of 45 to 20 to fall to 0-3 in SEC play. Of course, we'll also look ahead to this weekend's game, homecoming at Williams-Brice, as South Carolina takes on the Vanderbilt Commodores. Again, looking for that first SEC win of the 2021 season. But again, first things first, Alex, appreciate you taking the time. How was your weekend? And also, heard you played a little golf on your Monday. How'd you hit them? Everybody's curious to know. We played, we played pretty well today. It was a little Texas scramble format. You know, we didn't, we didn't win. Apparently, a team shot 51, which – Pretty good. Yeah, we, we didn't make nearly enough eagles for that. That's neither here nor there. Um, but, you know, it was a great weekend. We had fall for Greenville this weekend up in Greenville. So, I took the kids to that, went to Denver Downs. Just a very fun-filled, packed weekend where I shudder to think what I spent on tickets – for rides for our children. So, you know, we'll, we'll see where that shakes out. Yeah. So in these scramble events, are you one of the guys that's like carrying the team or do you guys have a pretty evenly dispersed team where it's like everybody kind of holds their weight or, because I feel like on a team, it's normally those type of formats. It's like, there's always one guy pulling, you know, you got to sort of carry along and there's one dude who's a stud and then everybody sort of falls in the middle. I don't, I don't want to speak ill of my teammates <laughs> from today. But my back is absolutely killing me. Oh, there it is. There it is. As I said, don't don't give us the coach speak. Give us give us the real uh the real unfiltered answers. I love that. No, it was it was it was a tough it was a tough scene on a lot of holes. And you know, it, you know, somebody somebody's gotta do it. So, you know, might as well be you. Tough scene for your team and a tough scene for the Gamecocks of the weekend, Alex. Perfect segue, by the way. Uh, yeah, tough one up in Rocky Top. Obviously, again, Gamecocks fall into the Tennessee Volunteers by a final score of 45 to 20. Let's dive into that one, Alex. And again, gosh, I mean, it, could it have gotten off to a worse start? I don't think so. You fall down 28 to nothing on the road in the first quarter. Alex, I know you and I were, I, I say cautiously optimistic. Maybe the word is just cautious going into that game on the road in Knoxville, but I think neither you or I or really anyone for that matter saw the type of nightmarish start that we saw coming uh, on Saturday afternoon. No. Uh, going down four touchdowns in the first quarter is a tough hole to dig yourself out of in, in any situation. I mean, at that point, you could have Aaron Rodgers standing back there, a quarterback, and that's tough to overcome. So, I mean, it's <sighs> – I wish I had a good answer for you there. Like it was just, it was ugly all around in that first quarter. And really from there it got better, but I mean, the damage was done so quickly that you just kind of take yourself out of it. Now, Alex, as someone that's been in a locker room, because the question I get a lot from fans is why can't we start faster? Why do we start so slow and Gamecock fans? I feel like for the last couple of years have been complaining that their team, you know, that our team just, just gets off to these sluggish starts and has always fallen behind and is always battling. I mean, is there something to that? Is it a mindset? I know like offensive coordinators and really coordinators and coaches will try to script the beginning of a game. But I mean, is there anything you look at and say, South Carolina needs to do this better or that better to get off to quicker starts? Because again, obviously, you know, you can come back, you can fight adversity, but it's just so hard to dig yourself out of a hole. And then when you get in a situation like Saturday where it really snowballs on you, like you said, you have no chance. I mean, is there, is there something to that? I mean, is there something that can be worked on in practice or it is a, is it a philosophy? Like what do you attribute that to getting off to faster starts? If you will. I don't, you know, I, I hesitate to say it's anything you can really do from a coaching standpoint. I mean, from a scripting. Yeah, certainly. I mean, there's different things you could script, you know, running plays out there that you've had more success with or something you feel more comfortable with from a matchup standpoint. But like, I don't, 
I don't know. There's a there's there's definitely not a magic pill that can make you start faster and not be down twenty eight to nothing. I mean, Cam Smith not being with the team this weekend doesn't help anything. Um, so you know you're getting exploited in the secondary pretty quickly there. You know, maybe. No, I, I mean, that's really the first one that we've started. I mean, like, and I guess the, the question then becomes, like, what do you mean by starting slow? Mm. Like, not going three and out on the first drive? You know, sc- like, scoring immediately off the ball? I, I don't – and it depends on, like, it could be a coaching philosophy thing where it's like, hey, we're not going to be, like, super aggressive, foot on the – you know, foot all the way to the floor on this first drive. Let's test it out and see what's going. So, from there, it could be a coaching philosoph- philosophical standpoint – I don't think that's what we saw Saturday. I think you just got absolutely knocked to the mat two minutes into that game. And then it really becomes like, okay, what do we do now? Mm. Now let's start defensively out. Cause again, I like starting on the other side of the ball with you because everybody's talking offense, 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 Satterfield, Satterfield, Satterfield. So let's start why? first. I, well, we'll get there. We'll get there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Why? For sure. No, yeah. we'll start defensively though, because here's my thing. People look at this game, ugly as it was, a 25-point loss, and they want to just put all of the blame on the offense. And again, we're going to get there. There's a lot to talk about. But this was a team effort. This was a team loss. And for all the praise we have lauded on Clayton White, and I'm not saying he still doesn't deserve it, but all the praise we've lauded on Clayton White and Jimmy Lindsey and Torian Gray and that defensive staff and the strides they've made, what we saw on Saturday, Alex, that's what I think you and I and many others expected this secondary to look like. I mean, paper yep. thin, and especially, like you said, you lose Cam Smith. and Maybe Cam Smith hadn't made the majority of the plays at this point in the season, but you saw just how big his impact was on Saturday. I mean, it was a free-for-all for Tennessee, and they controlled this game from the opening snap. You know, it wasn't, oh, they were winded because of the offense, and certainly as the game wore on, that didn't help, but I thought it was pure domination by Tennessee from the jump. And again, the statistics reflect that. I mean, they, they ran the ball for 247 yards, five yards per carry. Hendon Hooker looked like a freaking Heisman contender, Heisman finalist, if you will. So I, I think just as much blame. I know we want to talk offense, 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 because that's the, the sexy thing to talk about. But I think everyone shares blame in this loss, including the Gamecocks defense that had played so well through the first five weeks. Oh, 100%. And it goes back to what we were talking about, you know, last week which was you know you know the defense has put on like an impressive performance especially in the secondary and you know what came up was being undermanned and that wasn't a shot at the guys that are standing back there because they're playing really really well and what you saw when we were talking about being undermanned it was just super super thin and it's like if one of those cogs is not in that wheel things could go sideways in a hurry. But to the defense's credit, after that horrific fourth or first quarter, they played in, you know, whether that's a combination of Tennessee taking their foot off the gas or, you know, being super conservative from a play calling standpoint, they played pretty well beyond that first quarter. And, you know, certainly the offense isn't putting them in the best positions and, you know, running out there and going three and out and throwing that defense back out on the field. As thin as it is, you're going to get winded doing that. And so, you know, I don't, I don't pin it all on them. Certainly that first quarter was atrocious. But at the same time, like, you go past the first quarter, you know, they got much, much better, mm-hmm. at least statistically speaking. But, you know, going back to the first part of this, 
you can't really dig yourself out of the 28 to nothing hole. Yeah. What, what's crazy statistically, too, Alex, I don't know if you know this, but the defensive line had six sacks in that football game. South Carolina's defensive line. Six yeah. sacks, and you still had the issues you faced. And, again, like you said, when you fall in that 28 to nothing hole, there's no coming back. And, you know, you mentioned again last week what you said that stood out to me was playing out over your skis. And it's almost like it was one of those things where – and, again, I, I think the defense will rebound and, you know, they, they will we'll look back at the end of the season and say, hey, they were a much improved unit from the 2020, even the 2019 season. But you – I hate to say you could almost see this type of performance coming, but like you said last week, you just kind of knew that – they're playing out over their skis, and at some point that pendulum is going to swing back and you're going to run into a buzzsaw like I think you saw you know, yeah. up in Knoxville, if you will. Um, yeah. off- offensively, obviously, again, the-, the talk all around Satterfield, and we'll get more into coaching overall in just a second, but I got to get your thoughts on the, go- the, play- the play calling on the goal line. Give it to me. Let me yeah, have it. Let's I got to – no, listen, I got to get your thoughts on the play calling on the goal line first before we d- go any farther. You're – and you know what's, what's wild, man, is you're down 14 nothing. You're driving the ball down the field. In my head, I almost tweeted, I almost said, this is the best drive South Carolina's put together all season long. I really felt that way. I was like, okay, we have some tempo. We have some identity. We've got some run game. It looks like we know what we are doing. Then you get down to the one-yard line. For whatever reason, the entire script flips. You go basically back-to-back trick plays. Call it for what it is. You put Dak Joyner in the Wildcat which, whatever, you put him in the Wildcat. Then the next play, and I tweeted this out. Here it is, folks, the worst play call in the history of college football. And I think the video, Alex, got like 100,000 views, by the way. But (laughs) the toss sweep to Jordan Birch, who is a defensive end, throwing the ball to the back of the end zone, looking for tight end Nick Music Horse. It is promptly picked off. And the game at that point, you could pretty much argue, was over. Now, I have had people argue with me that actually know football, by the way. These aren't just random Jimmys and Joes on Twitter. People that cover the sport of college football for a living, that know a little bit about football, that say, hey, the play was there. If executed, Nick Muse is wide open in the back of the end zone. While I understand that, in that scenario, when you so desperately need points, it's a bad play call. And I, I, I understand Shane Beamer's reasoning. I like Shane Beamer. I'm on Shane Beamer's side. Beamer ball all the way, all aboard the Shane train. I'm not a fire Marcus Satterfield guy. It was a bad call. There's just no other way for me to – do you look at it the same way? I mean, are you quite as critical as I am? And I'll also say this. How baffled were you? Because that I couldn't believe what I was watching when that happened. I, I, I couldn't either. Um, <laughs> I, think, I think we would all agree that, you know, one of, the, one of the greatest elements in any battle is the element of surprise. And I was surprised. Were you surprised? Very, very. So it had that going for it. Unfortunately, Tennessee wasn't a surprise, I think, as you and I were. It, it didn't, they, they didn't appear to be, no. No, that's <laughs> probably why they picked it off. Um, because here, so Alex, I, here's the, here's I, I the thing with me is yeah. like somebody's like, if you execute it, it's a touchdown, but it's like, Okay, I hear you, but you're asking a defensive end to throw a dime in the back corner of the end zone. Like it's a tough even if you've ran ask. it in, even if you've ran it in practice, it's like put Jalen Brooks back there. Like put put a skill player back there. You know what I mean? It's just I mean, my my default would have just been had him run it. I mean, are you gonna tackle him at the one? The dude's 260. Neither here nor there. Okay, so I, I kind of fall into two camps on this. Was it a good call? 
probably not. I don't, but at the same time, the aggression that we have shown in play calling, going for fourth downs, being willing to run trick plays like this, just kind of laying it all out, emptying the bag, if you will. I don't hate that. I don't like the result of it. I don't think it was the right time to call something like that. I think in that situation, you're down 14 nothing. You got to get points here. Is this where we want to run this? Is this something we'd rather run when we're tied and we've got an opportunity to steal one? Like, I like that situation. I like the call. I don't like the situation it was run in. It's probably a better way to say that because, you know, if we just try to pound it up the middle, three yards in a cloud of dust and kick a field goal, you know, are we in a better spot? Sure. But like, that's what everybody was so frustrated about in the Muschamp era was like, we're kicking field goals down 40 points. So the aggressiveness of it, I really like situationally. I don't, didn't care for it. See, and now I fall into two camps on Alex when you bring that up, because I love the fact that we're erring on the side of aggression. I, I do love that. I do. Because when you look at the last couple of years and what we dealt with kicking 56 yard field goals and kicking field goals and going on seven minute drives down to Right. It, it speaks for itself. So I, I love the fact we're erring on the side of aggression. But the other camp I fall in is this. And, and, and tell me if you hear me out on this. What I hated about that call more than anything is it screamed to me. We were saying out loud, hey, we don't feel like we're good enough to just line up and win this game straight up. We got to do something really silly and tricky and try to fool you to score even a, just a simple touchdown. That was the message it sent to me. Again, I, I don't know that that's necessarily what they were trying to say, but that's what it screamed to me. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. like it's, so yeah. again, kind of back to what you said, like the situation, if we're tied or we're up, hey, I get it, but I don't know. Down 14, nothing. It's just, it's very hard. And it's impossible actually for me to sit here and, and, and say that oh, I love the, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I just, I can't do it. I mean, I love Shane. I, I'm st I'm still verdicts out on Satterfield. I'm not fire Satterfield, but that was a bad call in my mind for the situation and for everything else. And yeah. what scares me, what scares me is how did no one on the headsets say, you know what? Maybe this isn't a good idea. I know it's a bunch of inexperienced football coaches to a degree, but that concerns me a little bit. Again, I, I'm not, you know, no win or loss or even decision made in year one. I think you and I agree. None of those things in year one are indicative of how the Shane Beamer era is going to go in Columbia. And if you're drawing conclusions this early, I, I just think you're, it's a fool's errand to do so. But that, was, that irked me just a little bit. It irked me just a little bit. Yeah. And, and listen, I, I agree. Listen, I don't know what kind of message you're trying to send. Or to your point, like how nobody on the headset says anything about that, given the situation. It's like, hey, we're in a hole. We need to get this to your point. Is there anything that you've seen the first, you know, five weeks of the season that would say, Hey, if we just run a power eye here, we're going to get in. Right. And I, I mean, I think the answer at that point is no. So that's, I think that's kind of where it came from. Hmm. Okay. Personally. So, yeah, I, so, I mean, clearly I'm not in there, but that's what I would say. For sure. So the overall grand scheme of things though, back to the Satterfield play calling thing, offense continues to struggle, continues to trip over its own feet. It feels like I will sit here again and tell you, Alex, that even after week six, and I actually just posted a clip about this on social media uh, yesterday on Monday, but 
I'm again, I'm, I'm still the verdict for me is still out. I, I think you've got to give Satterfield at minimum until the end of next year to really see what type of offensive progression there is. Because, of course, you know, man, that the chatter's going on right now. And again, yeah. the thought of firing someone six games through year one is absolute lunacy in my mind. But watching that game against Tennessee outside of the goal line call, I don't know, maybe I'm just not smart enough to see it. But I don't feel like I'm watching these games and just seeing these egregiously bad play calls. And even if there are some bad play calls, you cannot just blame it on that one thing. Like, there are some play calls that aren't great. But there's also a lot of times where there's a lack of execution and there's a lack of personnel and just playmakers at spots you need playmakers. And I love when people say this, out because we've taught offensive line a lot. But I love how the last couple of weeks we've said, Maybe they need to simplify things for the offensive line. Maybe they need to simplify things for the offensive line. And again, any of my offensive linemen listening, all due respect, how hard can it be? I mean, it's football. Like, just block someone. I, what do you mean we need to simplify? Are our guys dumb? I mean, I, I don't mean to say that in a disrespectful way, but it's like when you say that, it's just like, dude, you are on scholarship. You, all you have to do is study a playbook. That is all you have to do. Like, go to class, study a playbook. That's it. Fit in some personal time. Go to the bars. I don't care, but I just – you want to – I understand hold the people accountable who are making, you know, cashing the checks. I get it. But at some point, it's like, dude, you got to also look at the Jimmys and Joes and the players on the field. And while the play calling hasn't been perfect, you cannot just solely blame all the problems on the offensive coordinator. No, 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 certainly not. And I will say this for our offensive line, they played worlds better. Saturday than the they numbers the numbers reflect all that. year your best rushing performance against an FBS opponent this season so just for all the statistics year. Say. they they played worlds but I actually texted several buddies that even while we were getting absolutely drugged through the mud in that first quarter like pass blocking looked a whole lot better run blocking looked better so maybe that's maybe that's what they did and kind of speak to what you were talking about for simplify 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 like in that room, and again, I'm not in that room. I am just speculating here. If you've got a quarterback walking up to the line, making a snap protection call, as may have been happening, you know, trying to pick up stunts and blitzes for those guys can get super, super complicated in a hurry where it doesn't need to be that complicated. You know, instead of, you know, worrying about that kind of stuff, just go zone. Just run, a, just run a zone scheme on your rushing attack, and it's just like, hey, you've got whoever shows up in this hole. Don't worry about where that mic is. Don't worry about the stunt. Don't worry about any of this other stuff. you just got whoever comes in this hole. And so, you know, simplifying it down like that, you can make it very, very overcomplicated. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's what initially happened. And maybe they did back off of that because it did look worlds better Saturday than it's looked all year. Even against, like, EIU and Troy. East Carolina, even like, you know, where we were just completely whipping that didn't happen nearly as much on Saturday. So, you know, taking that into context, I'm encouraged by what we saw there Saturday, which is probably the only encouraging factor I could find other than Luke Doty running the ball a little bit, which I was very happy to see. Yeah. And I'm sure Alex, <laughs> you can, you can hear my frustration still coming out from Saturday because it's, it's just, the chatter surrounding Gamecock football, and we all want to win, and obviously emotions flying high. And like I said, just to back up your point, though, against South Carolina, 153 yards rushing, 
just 3.7 yards per carry, but their best game running the football against an FBS opponent. Obviously, again, you fall down 28 to nothing. You're down 38 to seven and a half. And I, I really honestly, Alex, I, I thought this might be a 56 to 10 type of final, but you're able to fight, scratch, and claw. You're able to <coughs> battle. You're able to quote unquote come back if you will play much better football in the final score again, 45 to 20. You outscore Tennessee 13. Well, really, the last the last two and a half quarters, you outscore them 20 to seven. Um, do you no moral victories here? I mean, do, do you take any solace though in that? Do, do you do you point at that and say, hey, you know, Shane Beamer's getting the guys to continue to fight. Obviously, you had the Beamer ball, the fake punt, which was a thing was of awesome. beauty, by the way. Kai Crowder yeah. was a dime. But, uh, I mean, do, do you look at that and do you point at that and say, hey, that's something else right there, like kind of like Georgia where it's like we can hang our hat on it? Do you say that, oh, Tennessee just let off the gas pedal? Like, like how do you look at that, that second half, which, again, was much improved, but certainly the game was in hand by that point? Yeah, I mean, I think they didn't quit. And I don't think we've seen that for – two plus years at this point so that's encouraging i think the offensive line protection wise run blocking wise getting better is encouraging i mean you still fought after even getting kicked in the teeth in that first quarter so i mean i was actually i was telling somebody this weekend you know you know another fan like kind of on that same line like what are we doing what's going on here and i had to remind them that in 2019, which would have been, what, four years into the era we don't yes, want to yes, ever speak yes, about yes, again? Yes, four years. You know yes. what our score at Tennessee was? Not good. I remember that. Yeah. They blasted we lost us by in three, the second We half. lost by three touchdowns. Yes, yes. <clears throat> so, you know what? At that. the end of the day, like, Tennessee is just better than us right now. Mm. And that's okay. Mm. We're in a – like, we've got a – we, you know, I know I sound like a broken record on this, but we were not in a good spot. And I think people underestimate where that spot is. And, you know, we're being super aggressive, which is what everybody wanted, what I wanted more than anything else. Like, we're trying to tailor a pack, we're trying to tailor our offense around what I hope our weapons end up being. And, you know what? We, yeah, we had an awful call on the goal line but at the end of the day like you know situationally i hate it hmm. overall i love that kind of stuff like leave it out there on the field and i think that's what they did you know they didn't quit at halftime even after getting like i said getting kicked in the teeth and i think that's an encouraging thing to take away on what was otherwise a very discouraging saturday now alex a little, a little switch of gears here because I, i've had people say chris we look like a football team that is being led and directed by a bunch of inexperienced football coaches. And I say, yeah, no kidding. No kidding. That, that's kind of what you signed up for when you hired Shane Beamer and then Clayton White, Marcus Edward. And that's not a knock, but it is just the reality. And I said that on the, you know, the Monday show that one of my biggest, you know, talking biggest takeaway from the game outside of the fact, like you were saying that I think Tennessee's ahead of schedule and they're just better than you right now is, you know, <clears throat> Steve Spurrier used to always say, you are what your record says you are. And you just kind of are what you are, right? Coach Spurrier, did not sugarcoat it, which I always loved. And I think Gamecock fans, while they maybe sometimes hated it, they appreciated it. He was not going to BS you. And I, I look at this team right now, and it's like, you are what you are. You are a ragtag bunch of Gamecocks with a bunch of inexperienced football coaches. And that's okay, but that's exactly what you are. You did not hire Shane Beamer to be a great football coach in year one. And that's not a knock on Shane at all, but 
you didn't hire him to come in and work miracles in year one and take this team to an eight and four or nine and three record. You hired him because the hope was that by years four, five, six, you started to see that evolution of him coming into his own and the maturation process and evolving into a great head coach. And hopefully also during that time, the talent level started to rise and those two things started to mesh and match each other. And you found yourself in Atlanta or getting back close to where you were under what coach Spurrier was doing. I say all that to say this and I have to ask you this question, Alex, are you seeing anything right now from a coaching sense that I don't know if worries you is the right word, but I mean, there are certainly things again, it's just, it's hard for me in year one to be, to, to bring the hammer down and be critical because I know it's frustrating for people, but again, I'm like, this is what you signed up for. Shane Beamer is learning on the job. He, he is, there are situations, like, just like on Saturday, the situation, the goal line, will he do that again? Who knows? But you don't really know what you're going to do until you're in that situation. Is there just, is there anything you're seeing from the coaching side of things that you point to and you're like, that looks like something an inexperienced coach would do. That looks like something a, a first-year coach would do. Hey, also your coordinators before this year had never called a play at the Power 5 level, much less the SEC level. And, again, I'm not saying that people shouldn't be held accountable, and you know, I'm not trying to, you know, again, d- defend, defend, defend. Like, these men are open to criticism. It's fine. They're making a lot of money to coach the game of football. But at the same time, you kind of have to have perspective and say, there are just so many moving pieces in year one from a first-year staff a first-year staff in many different ways, by the way, when I say that. First year yeah. at the college level, first year at the SEC level, first year Power 5 level, and then first year in Columbia and an ever-changing roster and a roster that's not theirs. I sometimes think to myself, I don't know why people are so surprised that things are sort of topsy-turvy and all over the place. I don't – like, I guess I would question where the surprise is coming from. Right. It's like, what, what did you think was going to happen? Like, it was just going to be like, Oh, we've got this guy. Now we're going to win 10 games. That like, that would be my question. I mean, like from a inexperienced standpoint, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't think I've seen anything that's like egregious. I mean, you could, you could point to the, you know, certainly the play call in the end zone, you know, throwing the Jordan Birch halfback pass if you will um i mean sh- certainly you could point to that and be like you know th- three years from now like shane's gonna hear that on the headset and be like no 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 no, no. <laughs> we're not doing this again um but like i like I, what i don't want it to do in the questions that surround it and the pressure that comes from it is like stifle that kind of creativity because you know at the end of the day like i mean it's a creative call that hopefully a defense wouldn't see coming. I mean, I didn't see it coming. Um, So, you know, I don't want it to like stifle that kind of innovation, ingenuity, like, sure. Like, is that a reckless call there on some level, but you're down 14 on the road, do what you got to do. I, again, disagree with it situationally, but like the mentality of it, I don't dislike. Mm. Um, Like from an, you know, looking at the other coaches, I mean, like they're all experienced coaches at some level so i mean they know what they're doing they've just never done it to this degree and you know it's you know i, I just look at it like our over under win total is three and a half which man vegas gonna, vegas knows what they're doing don't they i mean they, they really do, do. <laughs> they don't they don't build those gigantic palaces out there in the desert by handing people money i'll tell you that <laughs> um 
And so, you know, in all likelihood, as a, you know, 17-point favorite this weekend, we're going to surpass that win total. Right. But, you know, a little over halfway through the season. So, I mean, you just got to I think I think it's an ex, I think it's managing expectations, right? And it's like, you know, if we expected this to happen and it doesn't happen, then everybody's mad. Mm. But you just got if you look at it holistically from like where we actually are, I think I mean, certainly from a recruiting standpoint, like things are progressing as you would want them to. And it's like, you know, from a skill level and talent standpoint, you know, it's just trying to find the the flashes that you see right i mean I, we talked about it like we didn't think our secondary or defense was going to be anything close to what it has been this year and you found some you found some players back there and you'll be able to develop those players and put them in the right situations like that's the stuff you want to see like you know offensive line struggles aside for the first five weeks it got a lot better this week that's what you want to see like you want to see that progression and things incrementally getting better to put yourself in that position to your point, you know, three, four years down the road where you are competing to get back to Atlanta. I mean, hell, look at what Stoops has done at Kentucky. Unreal. And I would also say, you know, our three losses this year, combined record of those teams is what, 16 and two? Yeah. So back off the ledge. Yeah. <laughs> on on that, on that note, ledge. Alex, on that note, again, this is this is sort of a Switching gears a little bit before we get into Vandy, though. On that note, I'm very excited to ask you this question because you are a football guy and I'm a baseball guy, respectively. And what I mean by that is those are the sports in which we played at the collegiate level. Of course, you playing at South Carolina, I played at Newberry. I'm curious to get your thoughts on this, though. And I, I mentioned this sort of lightly over the weekend on social media. But what I find fascinating, and it's not just a South Carolina thing. This is a football thing. So as a football guy and someone who's been in a locker room and heard it, Certainly you heard it in Columbia. I'm, I cannot wait to get your perspective. Why is it that – because the culture of baseball is – and I guess I understand you play so many more games. But the culture of baseball, you know, sometimes you get beat, you tip your cap, hey, they were better than us that night, we'll get them next time. Why is it that in the culture of football, if you lose a game, heads must roll. Someone <laughs> must be benched. Someone must be fired. Some ref must be blamed. Like, why is that a thing? Again, I, I'm, I don't want to sound like a hypocrite because, of course, I, I'm the one that literally led the fire must champ train. Granted, that was after four years of him being there. That wasn't after yeah, one well, game. Yeah, that was, but it's like, it was why, do you, why do you think that is so ingrained in the culture of football where it's like, I feel like, and I don't want to speak for all fans because I know there's a lot of rational fans out there, but I, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Like, football, unlike any other sport, there's no sport like it where there's, such an armchair quarterback, armchair coach. I feel like football just stands alone. It's like you lose a single game, and it's like, oh, we got to start from scratch. I mean, there's – I'm like, I don't understand why that's so ingrained in the culture of football. Can, can you expand on that as a football guy and someone who's been in a locker room? I, I really just think – I think it's the scarcity of it in, yeah. in that, you know, you get 12 contests and not – I actually don't even know how many games you play in college baseball, well, but 60, you know. 65. So, I mean, it's a lot okay. more, yeah, it's a lot so, more. Yeah. yeah. So 65, you know, and then I think it is just the absolute popularity of it. So you know, not unlike European soccer, like I, I will tell you this, I will guarantee you on local Alabama radio this morning, somebody called for Nick Saban to be fired. <laughs> yeah. Guarantee that he's, he's lost it 
that he's <laughs> not in it anymore. Like, it, there's no amount of success you can have that's going to deter that kind of thing. And that it's, it, I think it's just the popularity and the scarcity of it, just to where, you know, we get 12 of these a year, hopefully, hopefully 13. Yeah. And, you know, if something goes wrong, oh my God, it's ruined. And I think it's also just like the way that college football structured, right? So like, you know, NFL, you lose a game, so be it. All you have to do is win your division, right? College football, it's like you blow a game and all of a sudden you're not even. Look at, look at Alabama. Look at Alabama. Yeah. You know. They're I mean, fine. They're going to they're be in right. the SEC championship game. Right. It's, it's fine. Um, right. But, you know, like if that was, you know, Auburn that blew that game as an undefeated and you still got to play Bama, like that just kind of wrecked your whole season. And so I think it's just how much that gets built into it and how much is just like ingrained in the culture, at least in the South, I think plays into just, you know, what I would term bloodlust from the fans that just <laughs> will accept nothing but victories. Oh my God. Bloodlust. I, I just have to imagine though. It's so funny to be behind closed doors. And I mean, Hey, when I remember when coach Spurrier was at South Carolina and I remember being at the South Carolina Clemson game in 2008, I think you had left by then, right? The 08. Nope. Uh, you're talking you about the, the one in, the one in death Valley that was rainy, cold, the Garcia awful. smelly, miserable game. But Oh, I remember after that one that, you know, people oh Spurrier's lost it. He can't, he can't find a quarterback. He's washed up this, that, whatever. I mean, like you said, nobody, nobody, is immune to it. But I just, I just wonder, I think to myself, can you imagine if that's how, if, if, if these organizations were run based off what fans on social media want to do. And it's just like every other week, there's just like a new coach. Just like you just have a new coach. every week. You know what I mean? like, <laughs> Yeah. It's just going to be Al from Dadeville calling plays for the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Anyways, moving into the game this weekend, because again, the, the beautiful thing is this, is that you do get another opportunity. It's an opportunity. Like you mentioned, Alex, that, you should be able to have some success. Gamecocks taking on the Vanderbilt Commodores this weekend at williams Bryce Stadium. Homecoming, the fair's in town. It's an afternoon kick. Going to be a really, really good time. But uh, Gamecocks also opened as a 17-point favorite. The line, Alex, actually jumped to 20 points. It is now settled back in at 18 points. So, But Gamecocks right. are more than a two-touchdown favorite. Your initial reactions to that line, because, of course, this week, you know, a lot of fans, doom and gloom, about to jump off the ledge. Oh, I wouldn't be shocked if Vandy beat South Carolina. And I think you and I sit here with level heads is like, guys, Vandy sucks. Like, I, you know, I don't, like, don't want to spoil my prediction, but Vandy sucks. So your thoughts, though, when that line came out, do you think it's a little much or a little aggressive? Or, like, how do you view that game? I don't, I don't know how to gauge Vanderbilt football in 2021. Like, first-year head coach as well. Another first-year head coach in Clark Lee. Yeah, and I mean, like, we can be upset with our offense as much as we want to. They've gotten blanked in most of their games, I think, to this point. Didn't they lose to, like, Tennessee Tech? They East Tennessee State? Something like that, yeah. I'd, I'd have to pull up their schedule. They lost it... to a regional Tennessee collegiate institution. So, no, I'm not shocked by that line. I think they were just really bad. And I think this is this is one where we need to go up and put, like, 40 on the board just to make ourselves feel better. Yeah, they lost to East Tennessee State week one, 23-3. to three. That's so tough. They have That's lost tough. They have lost their two SEC games. Granted, against their, they were against Georgia and Florida. They have lost their two SEC games by a combined score of 104-3. to 
to zero. <laughs> okay. So what? so given given that given that information, like the line might seem actually a little low. 104 to zero. So that's what you're working with. They've beaten Yukon, the mighty Yukon Huskies, 30 to 28, and uh the mighty fighting former Mike Bobo Colorado State Rams 24 to 21 in the second week of the season. Um again. People are expecting South Carolina to win this football game. You better win this football game if you know what's good for you, if you're Shane B or the rest of that staff. But, no, seriously, in this game, like I said, afternoon kick should be a beautiful day at Wayne's Bryce Stadium. Like I said, homecoming, fairs in town. Um, I'll be interested to see what the crowd's like. I'll actually be in the building this weekend. But what are you expecting? What do you most want to see? And, again, because here's the thing. The season isn't over. You have six more games to go. Maybe getting to a bowl game is, and it definitely is, it's a little tougher than it was before you went to Knoxville. But – there's still six more opportunities for this football team to improve, to show progress. And again, a bowl game is not just totally out of the question, but more importantly than that, this Saturday specifically, in a game you should win, you're supposed to win, you're favored to win, outside of a win, though, what do you most need to see from this football team? I want to see him step on somebody's throat. Like go out and go out and win thirty-five to nothing. Go out and win forty to nothing, and like just do that because I think I think they need it, maybe even more than the fans do. Just after squeakers at ECU, squeaker at Troy, getting railroaded by Tennessee, getting run over by Georgia, you know, all of us. Although, admittedly, all of a sudden that sixteen to ten loss to Kentucky doesn't look so bad anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, just go out there and just beat a lesser opponent into the ground. Don't let them hang around. Just beat them into the ground and continue to show that progression. Mm-hmm. Like let's pass block well again this weekend. Let's give Luke that time. Let's see Luke get more mobile. You know, hopefully our secondary is back intact. Although based on the SEC scores so far for Vanderbilt, I don't know that it's going to matter. Um, but just, you know, the progression of it, just keep getting better. It's like you put one piece back in the puzzle this week and you took two out. Let's just put three in. Mm-hmm and keep pressing forward. Yeah, I think some sustained offensive success is what this football team needs dearly. Sustained offensive success against an SEC foe as well. I I think that'll go a long way for you going into the back half of this schedule. And by the way, just to share some perspective, I don't know if you would claim that, and some have, but I don't know if you would agree that the 2020 team was better than this year's team. I certainly wouldn't say that, but some would argue that. But the 2020 team beat Vanderbilt 41 to 7. So you should have the opportunity to, you know, I don't want to say flex your muscles necessarily, what little muscles you do have at this point, but you should have the opportunity, I think, to have some success, build some confidence, and, you know, put on a show for the home crowd. And like you said, man, as, as much as and as badly as the fan base, as badly as we think we need it, this football team and this coaching staff, they need it even more. Something to feel good about going into. Yeah. You know, what's going to be a really tough stretch with teams like AM, Florida, at Mizzou, Auburn. You need all the confidence you can get ahead of that stretch. And it starts on Saturday against Vandy. 100%. For sure. Alex, great stuff, man. This has been awesome. Appreciate you taking the time. And again, we'll, uh, we'll look forward to doing it next week, hopefully after a big homecoming victory. I, by, by the way, last thing, your, uh, your go to fair food choice i know the fairs in town like i said it gets going wednesday or tomorrow i should say in columbia you a big fried oreos guy turkey leg guy like what what's what's your what's your preference i would cotton candy guy no 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 (laughs) no that should be outlawed um 
It's, it'd probably be funnel cakes or fried Oreos. Oh, the two. funnel cakes. Yes, indeed. The turkey leg kind of freaks me out. I don't. I don't need to see people walking around eating like a just like a two pound stick of meat. That's that's too much. <laughs> yeah, like the caveman here. You, you have like because keep... they never have they ha- they never have napkins. Like yeah, so, then what do you do? do? Do you have to keep your kiddos off the sweets? Like if they got a hold of cotton candy, is it just like bouncing off the walls, going nuts, or what? My daughter had a Mountain Dew this weekend for the first time in her entire life, and that did not end well for mom and dad. <laughs> I'm all jacked up off Mountain Dew. <laughs> yeah, no, it was, that's all I could see was that scene from Talladega Nights. I was yeah. like, well, we're not going to get her to bed this evening. So R- remind, remind, note to self, never do this again. Never yeah. do this again. No, no, Alex, no, no, no. always a pleasure, my friend. Appreciate you taking the time. We'll do it again next week for sure. Okay, sounds good, buddy. Absolutely. He's Alex McGrath. I'm Chris Wiltz. We appreciate you guys tuning in, and we'll catch you next time on another episode of the Spurs Up Show.